This New America NYC podcast took place on December 12th, 2016, and is a conversation that followed The Bad Kids, a social cinema screening, and features Keith Fulton and Lou Pepe, co-directors, The Bad Kids, Vonda Veland, Principal, Black Rock High School, Yucca Valley, California, India Williams, alumna, Communities in Schools, and Elena Silva, Director, Pre-K-12 to Education Policy Program, New America. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for Tumblr for, for hosting us here in this beautiful facility. Um, and thank you, most of all, to these people that are sitting here. Thank you all for, for being here. Um, but in particular, I want to thank this hero right next to us. Um, uh, my name is Elena Silva, and I uh, work at New America in DC, which is our, our headquarters. I'm very pleased to be up here, to be with all of you. Um, for those of you who don't know New America, we are a think tank, civic enterprise. We are writers, we are journalists, artists, activists, people that are, have come together to try to see how we can elevate new voices and new politics and new ideas. And we do that in lots of different ways. Um, this, is, this is one of them. The education policy program is one of New America's programs um, where I work. And we are in particular focused, um, even more so now I would say in the context of this post-election era, um, trying to make sure that we have uh, the schools and the educational institutions that work for all students um, and to ensure that education is, is really a public good um, it's something that I don't think we felt threatened about earlier, but I certainly feel is even more important today. Um, so I just want to say that. Um, we, uh, we obviously just saw an amazing film. So I want to make sure that we have time to, to hear from these folks and then time for some questions. Um, I, I think I want to start probably with, uh, with Keith and Lou, just since you put this together. Um, and, I, and I will just offer my own sense of how beautifully done it was and how you captured the, the landscape and the, the light and the lives of the people. And so um, uh, I have huge respect for your ability to, to do that. And thank you for that. Um, but let me start by asking you, what exactly, um, what led you to this story? And, and how did you decide to make this, this film? Can I give that one to you again? Yes, you may. Yes, thank you. Um, Keith and I had been making uh, a bunch of short documentaries for a Gates Foundation startup called Teaching Channel. And um, we were spending a lot of time in public schools and this was in the wake of the documentary Waiting for Superman. Um, and there was a lot of suspicion on the part of public school teachers for anyone who wanted to come into a school and was saying, hi, I'm a documentary filmmaker. Um, and in making those films, we we were particularly drawn to um, educators, public educators who were working in schools that had been branded failing schools, which was, we felt it was a, an unfair um, judgment that placed the blame on teachers for not being able to solve huge social problems that a lot of youth cope with. Um, and so we focused on um, public educators who were doing really great things with very limited resources to try to uh, show people that public school teachers were not the pariahs that Waiting for Superman had made them out to be. Um, and on one of our research trips, we came across Black Rock High School. Um, someone in the district 
He said, oh, this school is not like any of the criteria you told me you're looking for, but you have to see it because it's, uh, it's one of our best kept secrets. And um, Keith and I were like, okay, what is it? And she said, oh, it's a school where all the pregnant kids and the teen parents and the kids from juvenile detention and the homeless kids go. And we were like, oh, uh, yeah, we don't know if we want to see that school. And, and we had these preconceptions about bad kids. And when we walked through the doors, it was completely unlike what we were expecting. And we loved it. And we said, well, we'll just go back and make our own film there. And, and just to, to move off of that point about it being, it's called the bad kids. And of course, um, we understand now that these, of course, these kids are not bad kids. Um, but I will ask you, Vonda, it's an alt school. And it's, you know, we saw it's a last chance school. Um, we do a lot of work in, in the policy side and just across this country trying to understand what models work best, what teaching and learning models, what designs for schools are best for kids. Do you see this as an alt school model or do you see this as the way schools should be? And, and what about that, I guess? I really believe it's the way schools should be. Um, we put the students in charge. So often the system has been controlling the students and holding them back Many of the schools get additional ADA or additional funding for keeping the schools in longer, or the students in longer. And what we do to the, uh, say to the students is, you can do the curriculum at your own pace. We'll keep up with you, and we motivate them to go forward rather than to hold them back. And so I think it's a system that we could all look at for the schools across the nation. If we got away from the fact that the school districts make more money for holding the kids back. So, so uh, that's so interesting. So in the school, you all were looking at a number of schools then, right? You were looking at, diff at different schools. Um, and this, this one stood out. Was it, were it the, was it the school that stood out, as you were saying? Or was it, and I'm sorry to put this all on you, or was it Vonda? Because in the movie, you know, in the film, of course, it's Vonda that we see much of because, and we see some of this in other films and other examples where there's this one amazing person who ends up really... Um, sticking to it. And I'm not to, not to say that the other teachers were not doing so much, but this one caring adult that really leads, sets the culture for the place. Um, which was it or was it was it both in terms of making the film well, and deciding on this school? It was both the kids and and Vonda, but it, our hope was not that we would represent Vonda as the savior of public education for kids in need. Um, maybe we've done that. I don't know. I hope we haven't done that. Well, I think that one of the things that's important to be said is that, you know, I'm not unique. I am not unique or special in what I do. I should be the standard. You know, the hiring principals and teachers who care and who care first and foremost about the students and their lives, that should be the norm. You and told anything us that, that it should be the job description. Yeah, it should be the, dro <laughs> it should be it the should, job yes. description. And anyone who is not meeting that standard, they should be the exception. Well, and so we have then, we have 3.56, probably 7 million teachers in this country. Um, it would be, and so you, you were speaking of waiting for Superman, this idea, trying to push against this idea that it's the teacher's fault, that we should be blaming teachers, even spotlighting teachers. Um, there, there is, I think it would be an overstatement to say we could expect all, every single one of those teachers to do everything that we see you doing in that school. And so in, in part, this caring adult piece, 
And I want to ask you, India, in, in a moment about your experience um, and specific to that caring adult piece. But this caring adult piece, there has to be something in the system too, right? I mean, there has to be a structure and a model in place that allows that caring adult to do that work and allows those students to thrive. There does, and I really believe that, particularly for the at-risk students, that they do feel held back by the system. And, and I do think that we can do some systemic change that would, that would make a difference in their lives. I mean, when you say to most students, well, you have to do four years of high school. Well, many of the students who are involved in sports and, and curricular programs and um, uh, co-curricular programs, they're excited about that four years. People who are just trying to get by, they're not so excited about having to do the time. They want to do the work and move forward with their lives and in furthering their education and getting careers so that they can support themselves and get them out, themselves out of their life situations. And so I really believe that we can look at systemic changes that will make a difference in these at-risk students' lives. And, and, and you need to have both. I mean, the research is very clear on that one person that will make a difference in dropouts. And the research says, you know, that if a student does not make a connection with adult, there's a higher risk of them dropping out. I just wanted to say, you know, I don't think that every public educator is cut out for this kind of school. Um, but there's some kind of assumption that, oh, somebody like Vonda is unique because she'll do it. But I think that you know, we don't expect every lawyer to be good at being a public defender, but if you support the ones whose skill set gravitates in that direction, then, I mean, I think the systemic thing has to be understanding there are different students with different needs, and you support the teachers who work with the overlooked, marginalized students just as much as you support the teachers who work with the so-called exceptional students. Um, but if you support all the teachers in what, where they're good, where they're best useful to us as a society, then I think we can only benefit from that. Um, so let me just turn for a second to India, because um, you, you have an important story to tell yourself. You did not go to BlackRock, so you were not part of this um, group of students that we got to know in the film. Um, but you have described that you had a similar situation and that you feel like you understand them, I think is what you'd said earlier, um, and that you were part of a model that, that did work for you. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So hello, everybody. My name is India Williams. Um, I am a senior at Delaware State University, um, but just four years ago, I was a senior at William Penn High School in Newcastle, Delaware. Um, and I know like looking at me, like I kind of look like I have it all together um, or probably I had like a super normal life, but um, my connection to a lot of these students in this film was I was homeless and um, I didn't have anything at some point. And um, had it not been for an organization that was in my school called Communities and Schools of Delaware, I don't think I would have been able to graduate from high school. I didn't really see that as an option at the time. Um, to be honest with you, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and basically what Communities and Schools was, it's a dropout prevention program for students and it just makes sure and ensures that students graduate. So, you know, when I came to my mentor, I can break down the system for you in a second, but when I came to my mentor with the problem, with my problem at hand that I had nowhere to live and I had no clothes and I had no food and I didn't know what I was supposed to do, you know, this program had different um, resources that they were able to lend to me. So, you know, they had a food closet and they had a clothing closet and they had these different um 
things that helped me to still be able to propel into my future. Um, even if I needed to get a ride to school, there was a mentor or a teacher that would be willing to do that. So it connects very um, similar to, you know, the, a lot of the stories that were in BlackRock. Like a lot of these students didn't feel like, you know, they could even focus in school because how can I focus in school if I'm hungry? How can I focus in school if I have no clothes? How can I focus on my future that you're telling me is so bright if I can't even see it for myself? So to have a group of adults or people um, that care about you just, it gives you a little bit of hope that kind of puts a fire under your butt that makes you want more. Um, so, you know, when Vonda talks about this um, systemic problem of, you know, teachers not necessarily knowing how to connect with their students, you know, communities and schools, what they did was, you know, they try to take that burden away from the teacher and create a program where they actually have site coordinators that work on their case. So um, there's a part in the movie that stuck out to me so much. And it was when the teacher started crying and they were, you know, just confessing to you like, this is a lot, like outside of my life of just trying to teach them how to read and get through math and English, I'm also trying to make sure that they have clothing and they, you know, that homeless shelter that they're in is safe. Um, so communities and schools is an outside program that would come in and, you know, create that integrated part of, you know, the learning system for the students. So, you know, your teacher can focus on teaching you history, math and English, but we can help you with, you know, everything else. And so those school, those those models in your experience, you obviously are a, a very, very talented and successful person. So congratulations to you for for becoming who you are becoming. Um, and a, a piece of that I'll say is that this and it was captured beautifully in the film is the um, the duality of when you are in those in the, those ages of high school and you both really want to be on your own and do your own thing and yet you're trying to figure out who you are and you really really need structure it's both and you you all captured that so well in those students that you chose to profile um and even in this in the soundtrack if, if that's what you call it where the music is the kids music you know you have them controlling it it's their sense of agency uh, and yet you can see them really needing that structure um at the same time um, uh, Vonda, you had, you, I think, I believe you said that you have a book from this coming out and you, it's about some of the lessons and I wonder if you could share um, what, what your main lessons have been from, from your experiences. Absolutely. We um, have just re recently written a book that will be out in January uh, through Amazon and it's called Lessons from the Bad Kids. And for the last 30 years, these students have been teaching me so many things. They've taught me resiliency. Every day they get up and, and have faith that the, the next day will be better. And, and they have taught me the power of positive. And the positive doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be huge. They've taught me the power of acceptance. Um, I often joke with them that, you know, at our school, they excel because everybody there is different. And so they accept each other's differences. And that, that, just that acceptance is very empowering for them. And there's differences, of course, what you realize when you pull that out is that they're the, the bad kids, that's where you see the bad kids go. Where did you come up with the title? Is it, was it just because they're obviously not bad kids? We didn't give this that title, no. <laughs> we didn't call it the bad kids. The, the title was controversial. So many people did not want us to call this film the bad kids because it seems like an ironic title. It seems like, obviously, 
you know, you don't want to call these kids the bad kids, but this was the reputation of the school. We all know who these kids are. We all went to a high school with these kids. You know, if you're on one side of the tracks, you know these kids as the bad kids. And what's been fun for us is that we have discovered that by calling the film that and sticking to our guns by using the title, um, bad kids all over the country who have been screening the film come up to us and say, hey, where are the bad kids? You know? <laughs> It's, we're reappropriating the term "bad kids," and it's cool. They know what they're—they they know who they are. Um, they're not shy about it. They're used to it. Yeah. In my intakes, one of the questions I ask the students all the time is, "You know, why are you here?" And often the answer is, "Well, I'm one of the bad kids," because that's what society has taught them. And so when we come to our school, we teach them that they are not the bad kids; that they're the exceptional kids, and that they've just been put into bad situations. Well, I'm sure there are people here that want to ask you um, questions that are uh, better than mine. Um, so I wonder if, uh, if folks have questions for Vanda or the producers or for, for India. Um, please, I, I see hands, and I'm going to hand over, I think, this microphone. Yeah, thank you. I'm just going to throw that microphone. <laughs> Take less time. We're filming, so we would love it if you just introduce yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Wilson Shea. I found this film very beautiful and sort of reminded me of everything I love about public education and growing up in a public school system. But how do we resolve that against the political pressure to measure the output of teachers? Because that's fundamentally the political problem, right? Which is there's this push that we have to evaluate how successful every teacher is, which turns everything to numbers and forces us to measure, you know, output in terms of test scores? Uh, two interesting things with that. Um, the first is that the, we're in a transition for testing right now, so our, we don't have the test scores yet because we're transitioning to a new test. But the last time we did the standardized testing, our school had the highest growth in our county. And, and the reason I believe that that happens is not that the kids learned more or had had an epiphany, I just believe that at the traditional high school, they don't have a buy-in for taking the test because they don't have an attachment to the school, and the test means nothing to them, so they just go and take it and be done, you know, bubbling the answers and bubbling pretty pictures. But when they come to our school, there's a sense of pride, and there's a sense of ownership, so they show up on test day and do their best, and I really believe that our school is truly a school of the gifted and talented students. Um, they just have, they don't think the same way. They don't want to be a square peg put in the, in the block. Um, so I think that when they come to our school, they're, they're more willing to shine. Um, also, I'm very fortunate in the fact that I work in a school district where my evaluation as an administrator is not based on test scores. And it may be different for the other principals. I don't really listen that closely at the administrative meetings um, because I don't care. Um, but, you know, they call me the crazy redhead in the district and they kind of leave me alone and they, my, my um, evaluation is based on attendance, which we have had the highest attendance in our school district for the past 11 years, which kids who are usually the truants and we end up with the highest attendance. And then the second thing that I'm evaluated on are our graduation rates which my first year there, the year before I came, we had 30 graduates. And my first year there, we had 91 graduates. 
that's I just to add a little bit to that like that's an interesting question because me and my mentor um, who's actually here right now <laughs> with me um, we were having this conversation at dinner and you know she was talking about the role in which she works with you know the different number of students um, that's on her caseload. And she was saying how, you know, the principals oftentimes stress her about numbers and stats. And she looks at it like, you know, if teachers, you know, really focused on the mentorship and the overall development of the student, you would be able to see the progression in which, you know, they're moving. So, you know, instead of saying um, you need to, you know, excel on X, Y, and Z test. It's more so like, okay, well, how are you progressing from each week? Um, what are your grades looking like this week? So getting those assessments from your teachers and then they analyze that and say, okay, well, this is where you could use help. And just making them you know, more involved with what it is that they're doing in their studies. Because yeah, it's one thing to just bubble in letters and think that you're passing your tests, but it's another thing if you're invested in your progress. So you're looking at it like, oh, I'm not just passing these tests for anything. I'm passing these tests so I can get Get to the next level and do better. Um, so I think that, you know, the whole education system, principals, teachers, they really need to focus on mentorship, the, the all-around mentorship of the student, because you're not going to be able to get those numbers if you don't tap into who they are. Well, yeah, the bottom line is that students can't focus on the curricular issues if, if they're worried about their, their well-being. I mean, Maslow hierarchy has said it from, what, the 60s or 70s. Do you think we need to change how people think about evaluating teachers? Or do you think Pravanda's initial answer, which is that, in fact, you can succeed under purely numerical uh, measurements, and that'll just work? I mean, I, I, I think you're talking about measuring something the, that you, if you were applying a scientific method to it, you wouldn't measure it in the course of a year. And I know there's a demand to find results quickly, so we measure it on a smaller increment. But, you know, we would often say to Vonda, well, what about the kids who don't get their high school diplomas? And, and um, if you measure based on even the high school diploma, you're overlooking the fact that, that while a kid is at Black Rock High School, they're getting something that is going to change their lives. It might take a while for it to kick in. And so some things in life we can't measure. I mean, I'm as as we're talking about this, I'm thinking how you would measure the success of parents, you know? It's, 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 a, it's also a question of what exactly we're measuring, you know? I mean, we, we've talked to a lot of people who actually some of our financiers for the film talking about, well, we need to support innovation in our society. We need to, you know, like, you know, mathematicians and whatnot. I mean, yeah, okay, we need a certain number of those, but what Lou and I and Vonda always talks about this too, we discovered about this community of children who have experienced trauma early in life, these kids have enormous value to bring to our society. You know, I, I speak to so many young people who don't have empathy at all. You know, we, we deal with college students who have no empathy whatsoever. They have not experienced adversity of any kind in life. These kids know adversity like back and forth. You know, these kids will help you. These kids will listen to you. We love these kids. I would, I, I could spend the rest of my life hanging around with these kids, as you, Vonda, have said many times. There's not a standardized test that measures There's no, that. there isn't. Yeah, but there could be. Uh, okay, hi, hi, I'm Corey. Um, so I'm a teacher of kids. I guess I would say are at the other end of the spectrum. I teach at a nursery through eighth school on the Upper West Side. Uh, it's an independent school. They're mostly affluent children. 
Um, but I also direct the service learning program at the school. So I guess my question is on that issue of empathy, because I think a lot about how do we graduate eighth graders who have empathy for the world and want to go and do good. Um, for India and Vanda, I, I guess my question is, what is the message for those kids who I hope India is actually the influencer in our country, but these kids are positioned to be, um, I don't know, to be influential or affluent or whatever. What, what, is, what do we want to graduate eighth graders and, and let them know to go into high school and college in the greater world? Well, we had um, last week at a screening in LA, we had uh, two young men come up to me. They were 13 and nine. And on their way to the screening, they were arguing with their parents about what they were going to get for Christmas and what phone they wanted and what computer game they wanted. And after seeing this film, it was very eye-opening to them that that wasn't really what was important in life. And so I think we just need to have the dialogue with the students that you know materialistic things are not really what's important. What's important is what kind of human being you are. And that no matter how little you have, you can always give. The students at our school, you mentioned service learning. We require all of our students to do 75 hours of community service. We do the canned food drives for the food bank, even though many of our students are the ones who go to the food bank. But they can go out and they can work to make a better society. And, and for students who have a lot, I think that they need to remember that that is tentative and that and fleeting and they need to look big picture and, and look at what impact they can leave in the world and just having those discussions. I taught middle school for 11 years and, and I know the importance of what you're, you're talking right now because you will, the discussions that you have with those eighth grade students are going to affect them through their high school years, their college and, and onward. And so you will make a difference by just showing films like this, talking about the bigger picture. I think a lot of, you know, when I think about being, when I was in eighth grade, you know, um, seeing stories like this, you know, we weren't exposed to as much. So it's hard for, you know, even in eighth, sometimes it's hard for an adult to be able to connect to certain things. So when I think about an eighth grader being able to fathom, you know, somebody going through something so traumatic and um, being empathetic towards that, it's very hard for them unless they um, can see that in real time or they have the opportunity to speak um, to somebody who has gone through something. So, you know, with a program that I was in, you know, in high school, it was called Pearls of Wisdom. And, you know, something new that we started this year is actually going back to the schools and talking to students and really, you know, giving them a real life account of, you know, things that we've been through to be able to help them um, better understand what's, you know, ahead in this life and what are the things that you may encounter later on? Because I didn't know I was gonna be homeless when I got to, you know, the senior year of high school. You know, I thought, you know, I didn't, <laughs> Trust me, in a million years, I didn't think that anything that happened in my life, if I've sat here and explained to you my whole story, you wouldn't even, you would be like, that's crazy. Um, I didn't think any of that would have happened to me or I would have been in the situation that I was, you know, and had I had somebody come back in the eighth, when I was in the eighth grade and talk about, you know, being homeless or being raped or being molested or being on drugs or talk to me about those things, I may have, you know, been prepared for that moment, you know, so I think as an educator, something that you can do to really tap into your students is, you know, reach out to people that have been through things and just have that girl talk, guy talk different groups, you know, within your school and just let them be able to internalize that and understand um, the world around them. 
We, we do an, an entire day's lesson with our students um, on the difference between wants and needs. And, and I think that that is something that would be very interesting to do with your students. Well, I'm not a particular fan of quantitative data as a means of um, determining progress. There are actually um, methodologically sound quantitative and quantitative ways that you can do formative assessments, both that are emotional and that have to do with more traditionally academic subjects. And I wouldn't push that so much as that that is a kind of story that a lot of people know how to listen to. And I'm wondering if uh, the use of formative assessments over time to improve outcomes that might be psychological, how well you're dealing with trauma, what steps you're taking, as well as those that might have to do with um, how well your arithmetic is improving and how well you are moving toward algebra and then geometry might be a possible direction for um, the students that you've studied. Yes, um, I, I, I just I guess I always worry when we get into a, a formative assessment on an emotion and on a, a, a way of handling trauma because it changes. So I mean, what these kids deal with differs between the students there and and daily. I mean, one day they might be doing just fine, and the next day they're having a major panic or anxiety attack, and I don't want them to feel like that is a setback or a failure, because now they, now they know how, how to deal. Right, and, and, and I can see that. And actually, it would be interesting to have something like that at the traditional high school, and, and, and it might be an indicator for us as to who needs additional help, because so often the ones who really need the help are at the traditional high school that no one has identified because at the, at the traditional high school there's so many students that, that often the kids have not connected with somebody where they feel comfortable in opening up. And, and, and they can hide, as, as yeah. you said, that was, it's not a place to hide. Yes, I was gonna say too that like most of the students that do need the help, they're not the ones rushing to tell you that they need the help. So sometimes you have to kind of find that um, who is the student that need that you know has these needs and when she was saying you know well you could do a quantitative you know assessment of the students I also think of another methodology that you could use is maybe qualitative and actually having you know surveys and you know you know when they say is this working well let's ask the students that you're actually helping is this working but in ways that are you know more catered to what it is that we're helping them with so when we sit down with you every week to discuss x y and z does this help you in your studies and if they're saying yes and most of them are saying yes then we're putting that data together and we're showing you like this is showing their improvement and then we're matching it with their progress. So now you're seeing both. Right, and so one of the most sort of beautiful forms of qualitative storytelling is uh, as we've seen in this film. And so I, I wanna give you all a chance to update us, if you will, on, on those, the, the students that we saw. And I'm wondering if you can tell us how, how they're doing. I'm, one, I'm sure people are wondering. Sure, the um, quick rundown is that uh, Jennifer's at nursing school. She got a full scholarship after the film premiered at Sundance in January. Um, and she has another year to go, but she's doing well. 
Um, Lee and Layla are still together raising their son. Uh, Lee is uh, now at the adult high school program at the community college, trying to get his last few high school credits. Uh, Layla is at the community college as well, and she has a job. And uh, Joey has had a bit of a, he's got a rough road, um, but for the past few months, he's been clean. Um, he's been going to NA meetings. He no longer lives at home with his mother. Um, he's in a much more stable home environment. His, his stepdad, who he talks about in the film, who was in prison, got out of prison. Um, his stepdad, who was a white supremacist, and there's a lot of those out in that area, um, has totally cleaned up his act. So they go to NA meetings together every day, I think, Joey's saying. You know. And I have an appointment with him on January 4th for him to be enrolled in the adult high school program. <laughs> well, that, that's probably a, a beautiful note for us to end on. Um, thank you all for being here. Thank you for um, thank ITBS you. for sponsoring it and Tumblr for hosting us and everybody, um, and particularly Vonda and India for being here and for the filmmakers. Appreciate it. Thank, thank, you, thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this New America NYC podcast. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. To learn more about New America, please visit us at newamerica.org.